This is Matt with Sons of Sawdust, and you're listening to the Builder Sessions. Welcome to the Builder Sessions, a podcast where we chat with your favorite builders. We get to know them, their stories, and hopefully inspire you to get off the couch and build something cool. I'm Hoff. And I'm Rosie. And on this episode, we have Matt Hobbs from Sons of Sawdust. We talk about how he overcame hardships to pursue a passion, how to not let fear and imposter syndrome control you, and the importance of process meditation. Please enjoy our interview with Matt. All right, Hoff, I have a bit of a confession to make. Uh-oh, here we go. Okay, so you know when you're sitting there on your phone and you see like a meme and the meme uh, comes true in real life? No, I don't. Or like one of those TikTok videos <laughs> comes true in real life? That happened to me today. Uh-oh. So, and I, and I saw this video yesterday. So I'm scrolling through my Instagram and you, you see those videos, whatever. And this guy comes on and he's like, and by the way, I hope this is relatable. This is the only reason I'm sharing this, because if it's not, it's going to be funny as hell. But I'm just sitting here going through my Instagram feed, and uh, this guy comes on, and he's like, that moment when, you know those videos? Yeah. That moment when you run out of deodorant, and- you got to be kidding me. And you have to go, and you, <laughs> and you have to use your wife's. <laughs> so what happened is today, uh, for our listeners- the way we usually record this show is Hoff and I usually have aligning, um, our, our schedules align pretty well. And we have a couple of days off here. So we booked four today and four tomorrow so that we have a lot of content in the hopper. And so basically I'm stuck in a room with Hoff. Hoff <laughs> You're room. wearing your wife's deodorant. And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, was it better than, would you uh, rather smell the alternative no. or would you rather have some flowery coconut going yeah, on? Flowery I'm coconut. Just, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, that's what happened to me. So you're welcome, I guess. I don't know. Thank you. Great day to run out of deodorant. <laughs> then the, in the morning, I have to sit in a hot box Holy. with you all day. Good grief. Anyways, our poor guest, Matt. <laughs> You're just glad you're not you're not in this room. Thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to stick around? <laughs> Man, I've been in those situations before, and it is so unfortunate. And uh, I actually had to borrow my son's deodorant a couple of days ago. So fortunately, I have a I have a 14 year old son who uses man deodorant. Yeah. Hey. I didn't have to wipe my wife's deodorant. <laughs> this is and it was so funny because I saw this that video. And I was like, man, that's hilarious. And that's never happened to me because this is, it's never happened to me before. And then, then sure as shit, the next day, here we are. And I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? Court- it's smelling a little tropical in here. I know. Hoff gets here in like 20 minutes. Katie's like, you could use mine if you want. And I'm like, oh, that's so funny. And I have to bring it into the show. <laughs> so a little flowery coconut action. You're welcome. Awesome. You're welcome. Hopefully it lasts a long time. I hope so. Oh, and then she goes... Did you did you put on as much as you normally do? Because you know you don't have to. And I was like, <laughs> Half uh, the sticks yeah. <laughs> but now I just I'm just effervescently like flowing the smell, and it just reeks in here. Better than the alternative, anyways. Yes. Matt Hobbs, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on the show. Dream. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited. Excited to uh, try and share some inspiration with you guys. Yeah, we're, we're pumped for this. So for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with you or your company, um, can you just share a little bit about that and then we'll, we'll dive in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Matt Hobbs and I own a business called Sons of Sawdust. Sons of Sawdust started in 2014. Uh, and it didn't start by uh, design necessarily. Uh, I was broke, living on food stamps, with my wife and kids. We were in a tough spot. 
we couldn't afford to build a table or to buy a table. Uh, we could not afford to buy a table. And we had friends coming over that weekend and was like, hey, um, my wife was like, hey, is there any way you could build a table? And I had some of my grandfather's old tools that were in my garage. And I was like, you know, I probably could. I went to Lowe's, bought like $50, $60 worth of wood. At the end of the day, the table had been built. <laughs> which which now, $50, $60 worth of wood now, what does that translate to today's dollars? Like half a million? <laughs> <laughs> or Yeah, mid-pandemic, it probably would have been. Yeah, out. exactly. Oh, yeah, I guess they've gone down, yeah. <laughs> it started coming back down, I think. But, uh, but yeah, man, built the table, and we had friends over. They enjoyed it. They're like, oh, my gosh, this table's awesome. You built this? And it was kind of interesting. I started seeing some value in myself, you know, where I'd, I'd really felt down and been depressed and kind of felt like I didn't have a lot of value. And just them being excited about it created more excitement, you know, for me. And then it was a few days later that my brother, um, he got injured in, a, in an accident when he was doing some construction and wasn't going to be able to work. And so we were sitting beside the table I had just built. And, uh, and he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do to make ends meet. And I was like, well, dude, I just built this table and I built it in a day. I bet we could build tables and sell them on Craigslist. And I'd be willing to help you out until, you know, you can get back on your feet. And so that was really the inspiration behind getting Sons of Sada started. It was not like, hey, let's sit down and plan out a really nice business idea and where we can make a lot of money. It was like we just kind of stumbled into it. And then, you know, within six months of the being in business, you know, together, things started booming. Uh, I was able to get off. We were able to get off food stamps. Uh, we were able to kind of get our feet back underneath us. And and this business was born. And that started all back in 2014. And here we are, you know, almost a decade later. And, uh, you know, been featured on HGTV sponsored by rigid power tools we're sponsored by you know um water locks finish sponsored by tight bond uh we were sponsored by carhartt you know like just going from being like walking down the side of the road picking up cans to make enough money to buy bread turkey and cheese to sitting on the stage at carhartt's annual meeting where they broadcast in front of all their employees and me and my wife are sitting on the stage telling our story. You know, it's like, it's been a mind blowing journey <laughs> to be, uh, you know, to be just a guy who builds things, you know, I'm a carpenter basically. Um, but people have really, the world has really resonated with our story and really gotten behind us and supported us on this journey. So I deconstruct old buildings I save the wood and then I either sell makers the wood as a resource or I build furniture out of the wood. So that's basically uh, a rundown of Sons of Sawdust and where we're kind of at right now. That's awesome. <laughs> Holy. Were you, so going back, were you involved in trades? Were you, you know, at a younger age? How did you get into building things? Or like that first table yeah, that you built. So, uh, that's a great question. My when I was younger, um, my grandfather, he was just like he could build anything. And then my other grandfather, he was a painter, and you know he could do anything. My dad, he could fix and make anything, build anything, do anything. And so I was just surrounded by men who were confident in their skills, in their skill sets, in their abilities, and they didn't run away from problems or challenges. They faced them head on and they found solutions. And so from a very early age, I was just around, you know, most of what building is, is just problem solving. You know, you're just, you're just solving problems. How do I get things to stick together? You know, <laughs> if you're working with wood, how do I get the wood to stick together? If you're working with metal, how do I get the metal to stick together? If you're working with whatever else, you know, you're basically just trying to get things to stick together and stay together. And so um, that's basically what my grandfather did with me when I was a kid. He gave me scraps of wood 
He gave me a hammer and he gave me a handful of nails. And he was like, see if you can get these to stick together. <laughs> mm. And so at a very early age, I learned how to just like get wood to come together. And it didn't really matter the shape at that point. It was just like, how can I get these things to stick together? And then as I got older, he started showing me more techniques, you know, how to cut, how to glue, how to nail, all those things. But my grandfather, um, his name was Cecil. He was, uh, he's definitely the inspiration behind this um, business. He passed away, uh, man, he passed away probably about three or four years before we even started the business. And so, uh, you know, he, ne he never got to see any of this, but I know that if he was here today, he would be in my shop every single day, just like loving the heck out of it. <laughs> he would be having a blast, you know, building things and just being a part of the process. So. But that's kind of where my inspiration comes for the for the woodworking. I love that story. Uh, I was going to ask you, I think I know the, the answer now that you've shared that, but I was going to say, what did that first table look like? Was it a good one or <laughs> or was it, Dude, did it need some? It, it was decent. I actually have pictures of it, um, which is cool because the three pictures I took to post it on Craigslist to see if we could sell the tables. <laughs> I still have all three of those photos. And so, uh, you know, it was very rough. I used treated lumber. I didn't put a finish on it. It was going to be an outdoor table. So, you know, like within six months, that thing looked like a wreck. But it gave us the inspiration to just kind of like go for it. And that's the bigger thing for me is like I want to inspire people to go for it. And the way that you go for it is you start, like you take a step and that's it. Like, how do you start something? How do you start a business? How do you start a, a new venture or, or, or how do you start a table or how do you start a quilt or how do you start raking the yard? You know, you, you, you grab a tool, a resource, and then you take the first step. And then as you step into it, you lose yourself in the process if you're willing to surrender to the process. And next thing you know, you're done and you're like, oh, wow, I'm done. That wasn't so bad. The hardest freaking part is just taking the first step to get started, you know? I think we see that a lot. Uh, we're both high school uh, shop teachers. So I teach Sick. welding, fab, and Corey's woodworking. And, uh, and so we see that a lot when kids, I'm speaking for you, I apologize. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> but we see that a lot where kids come in and they're scared to just take that first step because they're scared to fail. They're scared mm -hmm. to, and I just, right off the bat, I'm like, your welds are going to look like garbage. Your first one, just accept it now. This is it. You're not going to come in stacking dimes and whatever you see on Instagram, <laughs> right? It's going to look like a chicken took a shit on that piece of metal you know so it's <laughs> yes. gonna be but you know what side note there are some kids who come in and they've never tried it before and they're actually pretty decent <laughs> however oh. um oh, yeah. those are that's a, some outliers there but my question is do you see that like we see that in schools with young people in your um in your experience uh with the business and now you're probably going to quite a few events and meeting a lot of people. Do you see that in, in society as a whole too? I think what you said hits the nail on the head. Like the fear of failure is the thing that keeps people from moving forward the most. And I am, you know, I, I, I experienced a lot of fear in my life. Um, you know, for whatever reasons that has been a very prevalent mountain in my life. I call it fear mountain and fear mountain is really nothing more than a fear fog that you have to just walk into to realize that it's not a mountain, but it's just an illusion. And so I feel like everyone struggles with facing fear mountain. You know, no one, you know, we build up, we actually create the mountain ourselves in our imagination. <laughs> And then we build it up and we build it up and we build it up until it's impossible. And the only way that you ever get through it is to actually walk into it. And, and, and I hate that our society has created this, this mindset to where, you know, you, um, 
if you fail at something, you're a failure. You know, like the only way that you learn is to fail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the only way that I know how to do the things that I've done in my life is because I was willing to try no matter what the outcome was. And it's not even a, sorry, go ahead. How are we going to, how are we going to change that mindset? Because that's, I feel like the generation, I mean, we've been teaching for what, six, five to eight years. Um, and it seems like it's almost getting worse to the point where that failure to fear is inhibiting people to even trying something. Whereas why can't we get into the mindset of failing is one step of the journey to getting to where you want to go and I mean, obviously, you know, there's some failures when you're working on a customer's table or, you know, different trades where it's kind of like, okay, that's going to be a costly one. But once you do that, I remember being in the trade and installing a, a countertop and I grabbed a screw out of my screw box thinking it was an inch and a half long screw in an inch and a half um, laminate countertop on the sink box. And it was a three and a half inch screw. And that puppy went right through. And to this day, Ooh. anytime I'm attaching something, I'm double checking, triple checking, right? But you, sometimes you have to have those, and sometimes they are costly mistakes, and you have to fail to get over that. But I don't know how we change society's view or the mindset of it's okay to fail, and I almost want to encourage people to fail because that's to me that's the only way to get to a point where you are having these skill sets and this knowledge through failure. You have to kind of work through it, like kind of like you said, it's that little bit of a fog that you have to almost em embrace failure for a little bit. And that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah, that's right. I, I think for me personally on the journey, there's this, this word that I never heard before two words. And, and then when I heard it and I started researching it, it really started opening up my mind to the things in my life that were holding me back. It's called imposter syndrome. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I think, I think that, I think most parents of kids deal with imposter syndrome and they, they put the pressure on their kids that they have on themselves and they don't feel like they're good enough and they feel like they're an imposter. So then they put the pressure on the kids and then the kids are raised the same way when really we all just need to realize that we're good enough as we are, you know, we think that when we fail that we we're an imposter because we didn't know how to do it. You know, it's like, well, I told somebody I was going to build a table for them. And then when I tried to build it, it failed. So that means that I lied and I'm an imposter, you know, like, and it sounds silly saying it, but that's really the thought process that goes into uh, the fear of failure is like the fear of failure really is the fear of being exposed that you can't do something or you don't know how to, or that you, you can't, you know, you can't complete the thing. And dude, I, I push myself now to do the impossible things, the things that are going to stretch me, the things I used to be afraid to try because imposter syndrome would jump on, jump in and start yapping in my ear and saying, well, you're a failure. You're not good enough. You're lying to those people. You can't do that. You know, it's like, all those things that come in that try to keep me from moving forward. And what I've learned to do is I've learned that that voice is going to come. First of all, know that it's coming. And when it comes, realize that like, it's okay to not know how to do something. It's okay to learn along the way. It's okay to learn on a project where someone's paying you to do the thing. You can you can move into that stuff. And a lot of people, they set up these barriers and it's like, well, I can't do that until I know everything there is about it so mm -hmm. that I can do it without ever failing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. And dude, you start down that path. When you do fail, you're devastated because you're like, I, ha I thought I, I could do it perfect, you know? And then it and also so becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy too, right? Yeah, uh, see, yeah. I told you. And then, and then you don't <laughs> want to take a risk. Yeah. hundred percent. I think yeah, that. So it's really just like, it's all about feeling fear and moving forward anyway, facing the fear, doing it anyway. And, uh, I mean, dude, I've got, I've got multiple projects right now that I'm in the middle of them and I don't know how they're going to turn out, you know? And it's like, 
every now and then I'll get so stressed out. I'll wake up in the middle of the night sweating. You know, it's like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. But you know what? If I don't give myself the opportunity to try to do it, then I'll never know what I'm fully capable of. And if I will push myself to the freaking limit, then I will fulfill everything that I was placed on this planet to do. But if I shrink back from fear and run from the things that I'm afraid of, how am I ever going to fulfill my life? Fulfilling your life means pushing through the fear, pushing through and getting to the other side and realizing there's nothing there. There wasn't, there was nothing there that was blocking other than your own thoughts, you know, your own imagination. That almost goes back to what you were saying about <clears throat> taking that first step. Even when you get, you know, in these projects that you have going that you're not sure they're going to turn out and you wake up nervous and that, you know, just taking that step and getting back into them and working on them also can probably, I would imagine for me myself, I find once I get going into something and start working on it, the fear or the anxiety or nerves of, okay, I haven't tried this before that it kind of gets a little bit easier, but it's taking that first step, whether you're already in the journey or you've reached this little bit of, I don't know, roadblock, you still got to keep yep. pushing through. And that's how, I don't know. It, yeah. But it, it, it can be devastating for people and probably even more so when you're working on projects for clients that are paying and, but it's, I, I think you nailed it there too, saying that it's okay to say you don't know what you're doing. And I think even, you know, verbally, you know, telling somebody, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. Cause lots of times the ego kicks in and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell anybody that I don't know what I'm doing while I'm you know, trying to make it look like I know what I'm doing. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's another almost mindset that needs to be, I don't know if it's taught or brought to fruition a bit more, but it's okay not to, not to know what you're doing. And there's a lot of resources now, whether it's, you know, social media, um, talking with people from different industries, but just verbally saying, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. And then figuring out how to work around that. And like you said, kind of find the resource, whether it's a piece of equipment or knowledge and having that in your arsenal so that when you get to that point, you can be comfortable saying, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to start and work through this. That's right. And even in communicating that with clients, sometimes, you know, if it's an odd project or something I've never done before, you know, the fear is, well, if I tell my client, I don't know how to do this, then I'm going to lose the job. I'm not going to get it. So I got to pretend like I know what I'm doing and pretend all the way through. And dude, if you do that, you get to the end and it, it doesn't turn out well. And the client's like, well, why? This is not what I wanted, you know? And, and the other version is you communicate the entire time with your client. You're like, look, I've not done anything like this before, but I know how to measure. <laughs> I know how to cut square, you know? I'm a builder, so I can figure this out, but I haven't done this before. So, you know, this is going to be a process, a little bit of a learning process. I'm probably going to ask you a lot of questions along the way to make sure that I get this right. Mm -hmm. See the difference? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions along the way to make sure I get this right. Or I'm going to ask you no questions and pretend like I know what I'm doing and hope that it turns out. And if it doesn't, yeah. then that's when that's when you're getting found out. That's right. Right. So you go yep. through, you have this fear of getting found out, being found out or, you know, seen as a fraud or being discovered or whatever. And you don't communicate that to whoever you're working for. And so then now you're living this false, you're, you're putting out this false image of yourself. And then, then it fails. Then that's when everyone knows you're an imposter. Catastrophic failure. Isn't right? that interesting? Yep. But if you let them know all the way along, like, yeah, I'm figuring this out. This is my plan. These are the next steps. They're going to be happy at the end because they were involved in that whole process. Yeah. But when fear jumps in and keeps you from communicating, then that's when, you know, that's when you can get into a real mess because you're just setting yourself up for it. Maybe it turns out perfect and, you know, all those sleepless nights are worth it. But, um, you know, communicating with the client is going to help keep you at peace and also keep your client informed as things go along. And generally dude, people hire me because they know I'm trustworthy. They know that I'll get the job done. And so they're willing to go on the journey with me. Even if, even if I don't uh, know exactly how to do the thing, they're willing to go on that journey with me because they know 
they've seen me and they've seen my work and they trust that I'm going to get it figured out. Mm-hmm. And I think that transparency um, is is a is a big thing for people too. Right? If you're willing to share with someone, listen, I don't know this, but I'm going to figure it out for you. Then that's 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 authentic, and that's someone that I I don't know about anyone else, but that's someone that I would trust with my money because I know that they're telling me the truth, and then they're they're and not they're, hiding, and they're a problem solver. Yep. I'm going to yep. I'm going to work through this with you and figure out this problem instead of you know keeping your mouth shut and yeah. Ho- I mean, how many times does that happen? You might get you know three or four tables or projects good, but then the ones that don't work out. Now we're talking about you know a lot of money on the table and unhappy customers. And it's almost, I can almost frame it into like when you're working with somebody, um, whether you're starting out in, you know, construction, whatever, are you just going to sit there? Say you're working with somebody who's got 30 or 40 years experience. You're just going to sit there and work with them and not ask them any questions and take it all in. Or are you going to ask and learn? It's kind of the the same, the similar process Mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. I've also heard it said that fear is a down payment on a problem that might never happen. Beautiful. That was, so true. That was my, that was my, that was my, my therapist told me that I was putting down payments on all sorts of stuff <laughs> and I had nothing left. 90% of the shit that I have feared and lost sleep about never came to fruition, you know? And, and the worst thing is like you could actually attract that negative situation to you by focusing on it and fearing it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like, how do you stop fear? How do you stop fear? Well, it's like, how do you make a dark room not dark anymore? You turn on a light, you know, how do you do that with fear? It's positive thoughts positive affirmations it's it's pumping yourself up it's meditation you know like those are all things that i do to keep myself at the right level um you know do a lot of meditations i do affirmations um you know there's certain phrases that i say all the time in my head just kind of keep me on the right mindset and so fear is out there dude it's coming at us from every fucking angle and uh, I stopped watching the news three years ago, four years ago. Like, I don't watch any news. Uh, if there's something important that's going to happen, I find out about it on the Weather Channel app. <laughs> <laughs> snowfall. While we're just in a snowfall warning. So we, yeah. uh, we understand right. that. <laughs> if I know what the weather's doing, that's all the news that I need to know. And 90% of the time, they're not even right. So, you know, it's like. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're all learning in this together. (laughs) (laughs) So fear is a bullshit. Uh, You know, fear is a thing that is here to try and control us if we allow it to, but it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. And once, once we can realize that fear is just an illusion and it's just a foggy mist, it's not real. And we're brave enough to walk into it. Brave enough to walk into it means uh, taking a $20,000 project that you're not sure that you can take it to the end, but you are willing to push yourself anyway into it to give it a shot. Because if you don't freaking do it, how will you ever do it? When will you be ready to take the $20,000 job? When will you be ready to take the $100,000 job? You know, if you're afraid of it because of that number, then good luck, you know? You got to overcome the fear of zeros at the end of a number. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. want those to come into your life. Yeah. So I have a question about um, your community because I know like another, I'm just whipping out the cliches, not cliches, but just the sayings, you know, I've heard it said too, that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You're screwed by the way, Hoff. Um yeah. But, but uh, flowers you, and coconuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. Um, <laughs> now, since your phone's listening, you're going to have all these ads for like Dove. <laughs> Woman's deodorant. Um, so as everyone who's listening, I apologize. But, but uh, do, do you have like a, like a group of people that you journey with that um, you help de- that you develop your skills with or that share the same mindset that you want to have in your life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a small crew of people that are really important to me. 
Um, you know, there's not a bunch, but they're, you know, they're business minded men who are very, very, very successful, multimillionaires, you know, and those are the people that I, uh, when I'm blessed enough to be brought into someone's life like that, and they put my phone number in their phone and they're willing to communicate with me. Like I just keep the communication open. So the, the people like that, some of them don't live close by and I still, I'll just text them once or twice, you know, every week or two just to stay in touch. But there are people who, when, when big decisions need to be made, they're the ones I call and I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Now it was just like, you know, the buddies that you go and smoke weed with and you get drunk with and you play and pool with or whatever, like those guys are not going to probably give me the best advice business wise. And so I just don't do that kind of stuff. I don't hang out. Uh, you know, I'm not the guy that goes to the bar and hangs out and watches. You know, I don't watch sports. You know, I don't watch news. I pretty much eliminated everything that was excess in my life. And I've, dove into the things that I love the most. And when you do all that stuff, um, you know, you eliminate, you eliminate so much fear communication that tries to penetrate into your subconscious mind and then start driving you from within. And, and so, you know, and even on social media, you find, you know, you can dive into some of that same stuff. And so it's really just a matter of protecting your mind. Uh, I protect my mind. I protect the stuff that I put into it. I protect the people I hang out with. I read a shit ton of books. I've read over 250 books in the last three years. Uh, most of those are audiobooks. Yeah. I sand a lot. I'm sanding for eight hours a day. Like I could stand there mindlessly and just hold a sander. But instead, I got headphones on and I'll listen to an entire audiobook sometimes on one sandy. In one day. <laughs> wow. So, and that I'm doesn't feeding. leave room for the fear, right? It just, if your mind's yeah. occupied on, on this, then you're not, you're not just uh, perseverating on that fear. <clears throat> I don't leave room. I don't leave room for fear to percolate for very long. Because uh, what you focus on is what you attract. Where your attention goes, that's where your energy will flow. And if my energy is flowing towards fear 24 7, then I'm going to be bringing some shitty situations into my life. Mm. And so I don't focus on that stuff. I focus on positivity. I focus on love. I focus on helping other people out. I focus on positive recordings. If I'm looking at stuff on Instagram, I'm feeding the algorithm stuff that I wanted to send me that's positive, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, then they're looking at war, war on Ukraine 24-7, you know, you're going to get a lot of, the algorithm's going to send you a lot of war and fighting and all that stuff. Uh, you know, if you look at puppy dogs and kittens, then you're going to have, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever it is that you are on the inside is what you're going to feed the algorithm. And then the algorithm's going to send it right back to you, you know? And so I'm, I'm careful of who I am on the inside and what I am so that I can, uh, make sure that I attract to myself all the stuff that I really want in my life. That's wicked. Yeah. Holy. So let's take a, so from that first table, uh, Matt, the progression of sons of sawdust, like where are you at shop wise? I mean, you've been doing some really cool projects. Um, how has sons of sawdust evolved from that initial project, um, to build that table for, friends coming over for dinner yeah man uh <laughs> it's a wild ride i've heard that every five years you're a new person and everything that is in your life right now that you think is so important five years from now will be completely different and so it's good to plan your life in five-year increments mm. and since we've been going for almost a decade you know that's like two lifetimes worth of changes um, so it's been a, it's been a wild ride, man. I mean, at one point we had a bunch of really big things hit at one time. Uh, we were doing a sizzle reel with Mike Wolf from American Pickers. He was pitching us to HGTV, to Discovery Network, to all these different major television networks. Right on the tail end of that, 
Um, we got sponsored by Rigid. We were sponsored by them for three years. Right after that happened, we were sponsored by Carhartt. And a bunch of other big sponsorships came through. You know, we, we went from building tables out of basically uh, my older brother's barn in his backyard, which, you know, was just like open, mm -hmm. to renting a small warehouse for production, to then getting a bigger 6,000 square foot facility, to eventually having a 6,000 square foot storage facility, a 6,000 square foot manufacturing facility, and a 2,000 square foot showroom. 20 people working. Yeah. It's just like, it was crazy. So many people in and out. It was nuts. And then, uh, you know, I bought my brother out of the business. We had some disagreements as far as like the direction that we saw the company going. He wanted to go one direction. I wanted to go a different direction. And so we wound up splitting ways and that was really hard. You know, it took a few years to get over that. And in the middle of that, that's kind of when the pandemic hit <laughs> and, you know, it was like, shit got crazy and then we decided to move to nashville um to be caretakers for my uh for my sister-in-law and so moving to nashville that was a whole crazy transition and and so now we're i'm at a place where it's just me and i've got two guys that are helping me out we've got six thousand square foot facility in downtown nashville which is really awesome wow i'm on arteries that goes into the city so i get a lot of traffic um and so i feel like i'm at this stage right now where i'm really it's like the rebirth of sons of sawdust um moving from georgia and then we almost went out of business during the pandemic you know i didn't think we were going to make it but I held on <laughs> as hard as i could and we made it through and uh and so now it's just like i feel like i've been you know i feel like everything's coming back on People are interested, they're energetic, they're excited about me being in Nashville and having this, this, the wood supply, uh, you know, having reclaimed wood available to the public. There's not very many people in Nashville that actually have this stuff. So, so it's a really exciting time right now. I feel like we're about to experience some incredible growth because the, I've got everything back to where it needs to be, to where we can, we can really start you know, really start supporting people. And, and I, the other thing that's kind of exciting is I've never really sold wood before. Uh, I always kind of held on to it for us because I didn't want to run out, you know, when we were building tables. So I've, I, this like two years ago, I started selling wood to the public and that's been really awesome. Meeting so many makers and creators and people who are looking for the resources of reclaimed wood and to be able to provide all those guys and just see the stuff that they're making. It's really, it's really been awesome. So it's the rebirth. That's such a cool <laughs> journey. How did you guys, when, when it first started to grow and to take off right at that moment when you're like, Hey, I think we have something here. How did you cope with that? Cause I just imagine like being in that situation and it just, I'm, it was just the two of you at the time. Right. Yep. And so then all of a sudden you get these com big companies knocking on your door. Like, I don't know how, uh, did you know how to negotiate a contract or did you know how to, you know, do we need to hire an accountant? Like, what, how do how do you do, <laughs> how do you do that? I thought it was a scam when Rigid called. Rigid called and they're like, hey, we, uh, this is so-and-so from Rigid and we're interested in, you know, ha having, you know, a sponsorship relationship with you guys. And I was like, I was in the middle of tearing down a train depot and it was hot and it had been raining and it was humid and I was sweating. And I was just like, I just said, send me an email, man. You know, like Matt at sonsofsawdust.com. Just shoot me an email and, and then I'll check it out later, you know? And then when we got to the hotel room that night, I'm looking at the emails and I'm like, this is a real deal. This is rigid power tools, the tools that we've been using and they want, to sponsor us holy shit <laughs> <You know? laughs> like this is for real and uh fortunately my older brother had a friend of his that was a really good lawyer he was intellectual property lawyer and he introduced us to to um steven 
Uh, and Stephen Barnes, man, he's one of the best dudes on the face of the planet. He has led us in the best direction through all the contracts we've ever signed. Like he has, he has been like the voice of reason and he's helped us navigate it. So without that, I don't know, dude. I mean, who knows what kind of agreement we would be locked into, <laughs> but he really just navigate all that stuff. Cause that was, that's like his primary business. You'd be like, yeah, so I got this new rigid tattoo on my cheek here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was in the fine print. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> That, that's got to be so fulfilling to be able to, you know, you're using these tools and, you know, building these projects and tables that you love and it's a passion and people are reaching out and getting these, you know, sponsorships, different things just from your love of building and making things. That's got to be almost a surreal, to me, it'd be a surreal feeling of, well, I just, I, I'm just doing what I love and these people are reaching out. Like, that's got to be a cool feeling. Oh, it was cool, man. It was real cool. You know, like, I'm just a dude from a small town in South Georgia, you know, like to have those awesome things happening, uh, you know, it was mind boggling. Yeah. And it would happen fast too. That's the thing when success comes, it comes fast and it's not asking for you like, Hey, is it okay now if a, a lot of really busy stuff happens, you know, it hits, it comes, it comes fast and strong and you just gotta, it's like a hurricane or a tornado. You gotta hold on. And it will destroy everything around you if you're not careful. You know, uh, there are relationships, you know, that that it's tricky navigating relationships in the middle of all that stuff. And mm -hmm. so um, I have empathy for, you know, people who are in the music industry and they have a lot of people that are keeping eyes on them. I've experienced a small part of that, you know, like. It'd be funny, me and my wife would be sitting at a restaurant and eating and like near the end of our meal, after we've you know been talking for an hour or so, just hanging out, people next to us would be like, um, are you guys sons of sawdust? And we're like, oh yeah. And they're like, we follow you guys on Instagram. We're like, oh, cool, thank you. And then we both look at each other and we're like, did we say anything that, <laughs> you know, we shouldn't have said while we're sitting here, people are listening to us. So we've just like learned, like, you know, uh, just be aware. People are always around. They're always listening. They're always, you know, people recognize you and don't say something, you know, like, so, I mean, generally I'm not much of an asshole, but I try to be less of an asshole more these days because people are always watching. <laughs> so what was the, what was the most fulfilling <laughs> job you've ever been a part of? Most fulfilling. I feel like probably there was this lady that reached out to us and she was from somewhere up north. She had moved probably eight or nine times all over the country. I can't remember what kind of job she had, but it was just it kept her moving all over the place. And she reached out to us because she felt that we loved wood and that we would be the right people. And she basically had 12 or 15 pieces of wood from her grandfather's barn that she remembers going to when she was a kid growing up and it was very sentimental to her and she had been carrying it around for like 10 years and every city she went to she would try and find somebody that could build her a few pieces of furniture out of that wood so that she'd have some stuff to remember her grandfather with well to me that's like the most fun project because the sentimental there's a limited amount of wood. I've got to be super creative with how I use the wood so that I can build all the different pieces. And so, you know, we designed like four different pieces. It was down to the wire. I mean, we had nothing but like tiny little scraps left over at the end of it. But we were able to build her three pieces of furniture. And when we delivered those pieces to her, dude, she was crying her eyes out. She's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. After all these years. Finally, I found somebody who can do, who could do what I wanted done. And, and for me, like, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, it's like, I, I, I fulfilled a yearning that someone had desired for years and years and years. And we were able to like, not only you talk about fear, like <laughs> the fear that could be built up into that project of like oh crap if i make the wrong cut or whatever and dude it was perfect it worked out she loved it 
and she was crying at the end of it. It was high fives. And, and you know, I walked away from that being like, man, she, for the rest of her life, she's going to, she's going to talk about these pieces. She's going to pass them down to her kids. You know, it's like a special, very special project to be a part of. Wow. Beautiful. That's, that's, that's what you should have pitched HGTV with. Hey, <laughs> yeah, man. You recorded that that's and that's your sizzle roll. That's for sure. There's something about <laughs> reclaimed lumber that just, you know, it has a story and everybody, you know, whether it's this lady that you built this stuff for or the stuff that you um, find or, you know, take off these barns. I find, I don't know, you can, it's easy to go to the lumber store and go pick up, you know, maple, walnut, whatever. But when you are, first of all, tearing this apart from old structures, there's so many years of stories. And like you said, you mentioned if you make a, a wrong cut, it's not like you can just go to the store and grab, you know, another board of cherry and plane it up. You're dealing with, you know, that's got to be talk about nerves and maybe a bit of fear. Like, crap, we can't we can't make many too many off cuts or miss cuts because we don't have any more of this, you know, three inch timber that we just ripped off the poles or whatever. So how does that like in your design and your building process, does that have you obviously you've been able to work through that? But is that always kind of in your mind of trying to maximize efficiency and you know, going down to the, do you use CAD to design stuff or like kind of explain your process around that? Yeah, man. So I, I typically will use SketchUp to uh, draw out the designs and that really does help. It helps me know exactly how much wood I need, where the cuts need to be and all that stuff. Um, but I love it. I, I honestly thrive in those scenarios where it's kind of tight like that. Like I, I really enjoy uh, the challenge of something like that. Whereas if I was given like a mountain of wood and it's like build one table out of this, I might even have more trouble because it's like, well, I have, I have to choose four boards out of all of those. Like that's going to take a while. Uh, I'd rather somebody say, this is all the wood that you've got. Build this project. And it's like, okay, I will figure it out. <laughs> That's the mindset so, right there, right? You you embrace the the challenge, and uh, I think there's something to be said about that. Because again, I I struggle with that. And I'm sure lots of people, even our listeners, probably struggle with that. But getting in that right right mindset to be able to face your fears and get comfortable being in difficult situations is uh, makes you come out stronger in the end. Yeah, that's right, man. What's, Absolutely. Then you build that confidence that you know. You're going to be able to do it next time. Sorry, the guy's out here with some lumber trying to load it to my truck. <laughs> he's driving around the parking lot with a forklift full of lumber now because he's blocking the lane. <laughs> when you're when you're in that situation, because um, when you when you mentioned you have someone, you know, you have some fear, you take on a new job and it's bigger and there's that fear there. What are some practical things that you tell yourself maybe that we can share with our listeners when they're in that situation? Like if there's a project, I need to repair my lawnmower or I need to build a crib for my kid or whatever it is. When, when there's that fog of fear, um, you know, telling you don't go here, it's not going to be good. What are some practical things, mantras or whatever that you use that maybe yeah. we can share with our listeners? Absolutely. So they're very simple. I use what well, I actually created this technique called process meditation. And process meditation is what you do before you start a project. You sit down for five to 10 minutes, you set a timer on your phone, close your eyes, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. There's nothing woo woo about it. But you just close your eyes and then you imagine the project. You imagine the thing that you're about to do. You see it in your mind. You see yourself building it. You see all the steps that are going to take to make it. Why not, right? Do you want to really just jump over there and grab a board without thinking through? You're thinking through the process when you do process meditation. So you literally meditate on the thing that you're going to do. You take five to 10 minutes before you start. You have a notebook in your lap. And as you're, you close your eyes and as you're meditating, things are going to pop out at you that are important that you need to think you need to think about there's a higher intelligence 
that is sending you information. It's like your higher self. You know, imagine the version of you that knows everything that's going to communicate to you to tell you how to do it the best way. You are consulting that higher self when you sit down and do the process meditation. You're consulting the boss and saying, help me. <laughs> and so that is the way that I move into things. And when you do that, if you do that, set your timer, 10 minutes, you open your eyes, there's going to be peace surrounding you. You're going to have clarity. You're going to know what the next step is. You're not going to have to go out there and make a mistake and then realize, oh, okay, that's not what I need to do. You'll work through that through the process meditation. So you do this for each project then? You do this before your project starts? I don't do it on every project. I started doing it on the ones that really stressed me out. You know, okay. like if you got a big, hairy project, if it's building the table, like I'm comfortable with that. I'm not going to stress out about that so much. But if it's like, you know, something I've never built before, the best way to build anything is number one, you think it out. Number two, you draw it out. Number three, you build it out. If you don't do it in that order, you're asking for trouble. So think it through, make some notes, do the work. And that that uh, meditation technique, it's pretty universal um, d depending on whatever, even whatever belief system someone has, like not, not diving into that, but like you could get, yeah. you know, if, if, you know, if you, your higher power, God, the universe, whatever it is, um, and that's, it, that can communicate to a ton of people. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, man. It's like somebody's making the plants grow, right? there's a higher intelligence here that is outside of ourselves and it's not based on Christianity or Buddhism or Islam or whatever form of spirituality or religion that you may participate. Anybody can do this. It's just closing your eyes and thinking it through, you know, it's mm -hmm. like the process of focusing on your breath as you breathe is just a, a relaxing meditation. You know, it's just a relaxing technique that causes you to relax Cause you to get out of your ego where you're sitting there trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. You're stressed, stressed, stressed. How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? And then you pause from that chaos and you enter into the silence and the nothingness. And then everything comes to you that you need. And then you walk from that moment with peace. You know, I can feel it right now. I feel the peace just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's, it's humble. There's, humility in there too because you're realizing or admitting for a moment that you're not the center of this universe <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around <laughs> you <laughs> yep. do you not know who i am <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool yep. thank you for sharing that that's it. awesome yeah it's your thing man so matt when um some advice for somebody wanting to get into furniture i guess reclaim lumber like what what advice do you have for somebody who wants to get started in this industry or field, I guess. I would say, um, before you jump into something, well, actually, maybe you need to jump in, swim around. Uh, people get ten. People have a tendency to have this belief that you can't change your mind. And if you say you're going to do something, then that's what you have to do forever. You're not allowed to change your mind. And I think that's bullshit. I think that when you graduate from high school, you should travel the world for two to four years, get a shit ton of experience about what the world is like, who's out there, what they do, try your hand at 20 different jobs, work 20 jobs for two months apiece or whatever, you know, like. If it's if you're getting into the world of carpentry or craftsmanship, dude, there's a billion different things that you could do. You could do wood turning, you could do carving, you could build tables, you could do you build, I mean, whatever. So work for 20 different people for four years doing all the things that are in the thing that you want to do. If you're young enough and you got the time. Get the experience. And at some point, you're gonna do something that lights you up and makes you sing on the inside. It makes you happy and you're like, I can't fucking wait to wake up tomorrow to go do that thing again. When you hit that, then you know you're in the right spot. 
And then you just learn everything you can about the thing that inspires you, the thing that brings you the most excitement, the things that brings you the most joy. If you fucking hate waking waking up in the morning and you hate going to work every day, quit that shit, dude. Do something else. <laughs> out here like there's no reason that anyone should be suffering through a job that they hate there's opportunity so chase some excitement swim around a little bit get some experience in a lot of different areas and eventually you'll bump into something that really that will really uh it'll light you on fire and then once you get that man you, there's no stopping there's no stopping you when you hit something that lights you up and inspires you and you can't get away from uh you'll be doing that for the rest of your life and you'll never have to have a job and you will live as a retired person forever because you actually enjoy doing the thing that you mm. do that's you a cool have to do it. that's a really cool outlook on that live as a retired person that's awesome that's how i i, I literally retired last year now do i have the financial means to not have to work anymore no way it's a mental retirement. I chose mm -hmm. to retire from stress and worry and to just do the things that make me happy every single day. That's what retired people do. They just do what they want to do. So that's what I'm trying to do every single day. I try to chase excitement and do the thing that brings me the most joy. That's brilliant. And dude, amazing. That's a great like, mindset. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, so someone going into, let's say, carpentry, just well, generally, what are some important skill sets that someone needs to develop when they're when they're getting into it? Like specific uh, skill sets. Yeah, they're very simple skills that are the most important, and they will actually translate from woodworking to metalworking. Learn to read a tape measure. That is a skill that most people don't have. And also realize that most tape measures are not exactly the same. You could put 10 tapes beside each other and get different measurements, you know, like they're not super accurate. So understanding a tape, understanding how to read it and understanding the limitations as well. You know, uh, that would be a super important skill because because I just started welding uh, probably about four months ago. Uh, my welder in Georgia taught me how to weld over the phone. <laughs> wow. But the only reason I was able to pick it up and accelerate at it was because I understood how to read a tape measure. I understood how to make things square, right? So I was able to take all the knowledge that I have in woodworking and instantly translate that over into metalworking because it's really the same concepts. How do you cut it? How do you make it stick together? And how do you make it square? And so... To cut it accurately, you got to be able to read a tape measure. <laughs> mm. To make it square, you got to know how to make things square, you know. And to make it stick together, you got to figure out how to melt, lick, you know, how to melt metal. Uh, and, and the same thing with wood. So, so it's the core competencies mm. of reading a tape measure. How do you make things square? And how do you cut multiple things at the same length? with efficiency you know like setting up a stop so that you can make 20 cuts all exactly the same and you're not running the tape you know 20 times wasting wasting time and energy so you know learning efficiencies the actual woodworking is just like you know it, it's almost like a commodity you know it's just it's the thing that's there but everything that goes on before you touch the piece of wood is like the most important thing to be able to do so that you can then transform that wood into the thing that you want to make it become. But if you can't read a tape, you can't do something square, you might as well just go on down to the buffet and have yourself a big old plate of mashed potatoes, steak, and gravy, because you ain't going to be fucking building anything. <laughs> wow, I love it. There it is. That is, sums it up. That is you're, wonderful. You're going to play that for your students every yeah, morning, yeah. hey? Just hit play, record, record. <laughs> The sound bite. We're gonna use that for uh, for a sound bite for for the show. Nice. Alrighty. So last question here. Once you've obviously, once you know how to read a tape measure and cut things straight and the processes. Yes. Um, yes. Top three starting out tools. What do you recommend? Top three starting out tools. Let me tell this guy that I'm almost done. Uh, top three starting out tools. Oh, this is good. If I only had three tools, 
what would they be? Chop saw, track saw with a track. Can those be one? Uh, chop saw, a track saw, and a domino joiner. What's a domino joiner? For those of us who, Corey, uh, Hoff okay. knows, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a... I'm a carpentry noob here, so. A domino joiner is like a biscuit joiner, but it has the ability, instead of doing a round cut like a saw blade, it has a drill bit that oscillates. It spins and oscillates, so it creates a mortise. And uh, Festool sells the dominoes, which are really the tenon. And so this tool allows you to create a mortise and loose tenon joint. It's the only tool in the world that will do that that's handheld as far as I know. There are some other ones that are like stationary. They'll kind of do the same thing, but the flexibility of being able to walk anywhere in my shop with a 14 foot long cord and join anything together with that domino joiner. Uh, the joints are just, they're super solid, man. It's, it's, it's a tool unlike anything else. So domino joiner would be top on the list of top three tools for sure. And I so I, I assume the track saw helps with trimming. You know, it could replace a jointer and trimming your slabs down. I've uh, just started using the Festool one a little bit um, at the school. Yes. We've got them, and they are wonderful. Track saw will eliminate a table saw. It eliminates a jointer. If you if you have a sharp blade, you really don't even need to run through the jointer. So it, it's like three tools in one. Uh, and you can also do. Like miter, you can do miter cuts that where the saw locks into the track. So if you want to do like faux beams or something, I mean, it's just like, it's an endlessly useful tool. Uh, and then, you know, how can you cut anything without a saw blade? Miter, sliding miter, compound sliding miter. So you can do, you know, all your cuts pretty much on that, on that saw. What's your go-to saw? Uh, man, I have used all of them. DeWalt is the saw to go by. It's it. A Twelve. Inch. I like it better. Than, I like it better than Festool's saw. Uh, the, what is it? The uh, Capex. Uh, yeah, Capex. Yeah. I love the Capex, man. I don't love it. Okay. There you go. Yeah. The DeWalt twelve-inch sliding compound miter saw. Oh, track I would get saw. the Makita. I get the Makita track saw because it's less expensive than Festool and it's just as good. Unless you're getting the big track saw from Festool, and that one is badass. The so TS seventy five or whatever it is, that big deep one. Uh, yeah, seventy five. Yep, that's wow. it. Those are some wonderful tools. <laughs> I get yeah. excited talking about <laughs> tools that are up my alley. <laughs> Well, dude, since I bought the track saw, like, I don't even use the table saw anymore. Unless the piece that I'm cutting is, like, narrower than about six inches. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to cut stuff that's less less wide than the track. But um, that track saw, man, I, it's my go-to. It's so easy. That's awesome. Cool. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Spending time in mid uh, picking up a load of lumber and taking time <laughs> out of your busy day for us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, as we kind of end the show here, uh, where can people find you and what do you have going on that you'd like to promote? Awesome. Uh, well, dude, I appreciate you guys having me on. Believe it or not, this is the first podcast that I've ever done. Oh, thank I've you. Solicited, I've been solicited by hundreds of people. And because of my own uh imposter syndrome I was terrified to do podcasts back in the day because I was afraid people were going to find out that I didn't know stuff that I was I was I was being fake and I, I didn't know the stuff and the funny thing is with imposter syndrome you actually do know the stuff <laughs> but it tells you that you don't so uh I'm super grateful for you guys for letting me be on the podcast. Grateful to have my first podcast under the belt. And I hope that this one is the best one that that ever happens. So, um, but for me, uh, sonsofsawdust.com is my website. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, just at Sons of Sawdust. Um, you know, the thing that I'm most excited about the next five to 10 years, I want to create a maker community, an online community 
you know, Instagram, Facebook, all these places, these platforms, they were intended for something else. And then the makers, the makers are the ones that made the platforms cool. And then the platforms get manipulated and then they get changed and then they don't become effective anymore. And so my goal is in the next five to 10 years is I want to make a platform, a social media platform for makers by makers. There's no advertising. There's no manipulation. There's no need for any of that. You know, it'll be a small monthly fee so that we don't have to bring in the advertisers, but it's going to be a resource. It's going to be a place where makers can come to be inspired. They can find education, they'll find community, they'll find mentorship, and eventually they'll actually have an e-commerce platform where they can sell the products that they create, all within the same community. Love that. That's wicked. You're a visionary, my friend. Coming, baby. It's coming. Matt, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, all the links that Matt talked about, we'll put in the show notes of this episode. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, Hoff. Thanks, Rosie. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one.